0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to preach to you on one single verse this morning, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. To preach on it properly, I do want to read the verses before it and a few verses after it, just so that it is in context, but my entire sermon this morning is really on Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. I want to say I appreciate the Spirit of the Lord here this morning. God is so good, He's so encouraging, He knows how to speak to each of us in a very individual way, and I just encourage you this morning, if God's speaking to you, that you continue to let God speak and let God have His way in your heart. Let's read together chapter 7, let's start in verse 15, and then read through chapter 8 and verse 4. Would you please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning? For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that is that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help me today. God, as I preach to your people, the reality and the blessed truth that there is no condemnation to those of us in Christ. God, that you would help me to properly preach it. God, that you would help me to rightly divide the word of truth. God, that you would open our hearts to understand your word this morning. God, I pray that sinners would be saved this morning. God, I pray that Your saints, God, who have been held captive by condemnation, would be set free this morning, God. Lord, I ask that You'd anoint me to preach in the unction and the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, not in man's wisdom or in man's crafty ways, but God, in the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, this morning may I speak as a spiritual man to spiritual men and women. God, may Your Word, which is spiritual, Lord, give life, Lord, in our spirits this morning. God, do what only You can. We ask that you be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, the Word of God plainly says, unashamedly, as clear as clear can be, there are no mincing words, there is no condemnation for you. I want to preach this morning on the simple thought, I am not condemned. I am not condemned i read the verses before and the verses after on purpose even though i just really want to preach on this one verse it helps to understand the context if you've been a student of the word of god any length of time you probably know that when the bible was written it was not written with verses it was not written with chapters They were letters that were written. For example, this was a letter that was written to the church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. And to make it easier for us to reference, later, many years later, some people went and made chapters so that we would know if I wanted you to get to a particular verse, I could say Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and we could all turn there and just instead of saying... You know that middle portion of Romans where it says this, turn there. And so, chapters and verses have been very helpful at memorizing Scripture, at being able to reference Scripture. But I want to say, we have to acknowledge two things. Number one, it wasn't the Holy Spirit who put the chapters and verses there. And so, the chapters and verses are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And number two, because man decided where the chapters and verses would go, at times it's very possible that we kind of put a break in our mind. When you read chapter seven to chapter eight, don't you you assume there's a break there, don't you? Sometimes we get it wrong, and there's really no break at all, and we can misunderstand and misapply certain things in Scripture because we think, well, now we're done with chapter 7, we go to chapter 8. There is no chapter 7 in chapter 8. It is one constant thought. And here's the beautiful thing about that. You have to understand the conflict of chapter 7. It is the true conflict of every believer. I read it to you the way Paul wrote it. Now let me tell it to you the way I would say it. There's a war within Where I want to serve God and I want to do what's right and in the depth of my being, that's really what I want. I hunger for righteousness. I want to honor God. I want to love people like Jesus loves people. I want to be as godly as I can be. That's what I want. But then on the other hand, over here, when... Somebody does me wrong or my feelings get hurt or I'm maybe a little tired or maybe I'm sick and I haven't been feeling too well. I'm not feeling real spiritual. I don't feel like being selfless. I don't feel like being loving. And there's there's like this war that goes on. And then when I'm conscious of the war and I realize there's a part of me, Paul called it his flesh, and then I realize that that part of me, there's nothing good. He said, that is in me, my flesh dwells no good thing. When I realize in that part of me there's nothing that's good, and I've got to drag that part of me around the rest of my life and find some way to hold it at bay, find some way to keep my flesh nature from taking over and ruling my life, and I, it's exhausting sometimes. It is exhausting. And I just, I, at times I'm like, I just wish I could cut loose of that thing and, and just be free to love God the way I want to love God. And sometimes we fall and sometimes we think things we shouldn't think and sometimes we allow our thought life to run wild and before you know it, at the end of the day, you're thinking, wow, what, you know, how, how can I really say I love God and what's wrong with me? This is what Paul said, oh wretched man that I am. It is in that condition, it is in that line of belief and thought that Paul says there's no condemnation. This is the incredible thing about the reality that we are in no condemnation is that even in that battle, even in that war that goes on within us, even in the constant conflict between the flesh and the Spirit, there is still no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even when the conflict is the hottest. You ever been there? You know, some weeks it don't seem too bad, but other weeks it's just like, it is, this is a hot battle. I'm in the middle of it. I can't get my thinking straight. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm afraid I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I'm feeling things I shouldn't feel. This is not a very good week for me. This is not a very good day for me. And, and it's like you're, just, you're in conflict. I'm talking the heat of the battle spiritually. Even in the hottest conflict, in that moment, in that day, there is no condemnation. That's what Paul says. Thank God for that. We have to become aware of this. We have to understand this. We have to consciously grab a hold of the reality that as long as we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. When you have to cry out in the agony of your spirit... And pray to God to help you stay faithful. Pray to God to help you say the right thing and feel the right pain. And you are earnestly, you feel you're at the boiling point. You feel you're about to break and you are begging God to help you somehow, some way stay right and keep your mind right. Even in that place of agony and battle, there is no condemnation. The man who never strives against the sin, which dwells in him, should question if he really knows anything about spiritual life. It's not really until you get saved that you start to struggle with the sin within. You see, before I'm saved, before I'm a Christian, there is really no conflict concerning what's going on in here. Now, there's a lot of conflict and a lot of anger about everything that goes on around me as a non-Christian. As a non-Christian, there's a lot of pain and troubles in this world, absolutely. But the focus of why everything is so wrong if you're not saved is basically because everything around you is wrong. It's not until you get saved that you begin to realize, I'm wrong. And now there's conflict. I didn't used to be so concerned about who I was. I was just concerned about who everybody else was. But now that I'm saved and I have a real honest desire to be like Him and to, and to glorify Him and to let His light shine through me, I am ever more conscious of my inabilities and my weaknesses and my strongholds and they disgust me. And there's a battle. Now here's what I want you to know. If you are struggling with that today, you ought to just shout to God because it is the evidence you're saved. You are saved. If you weren't saved, you wouldn't care. If you weren't saved, you would have no disgust whatsoever with your sin. It is evidence the Holy Spirit lives in you and is convicting you and reproving you of sin. And so even in the heat of the battle, I have to understand God knew this would go on, and according to the word of God, even in the heat of the battle, while I am ever so conscious of my flesh nature that wars against the spirit nature, there is no condemnation in the sight of God. Amen. Let's look at the word, let's get to our text. There is now no condemnation. I like the word now. Not later, not one day when we get rescued, but now. Even in this present state, now there is no Condemnation. Even in the mingled experience of wanting to do something spiritually and my flesh fighting me and this constant battle of trying to be who God wants me to be, even now, in this moment, in this day, there is no condemnation. You realize that Romans chapter 7 is a passage of scripture that the unregenerate, the unsaved, the lost man or woman has absolutely No understanding of. That is who Paul's talking about here. The unregenerate person who has not been saved cannot understand the conflict of Romans chapter 7. This passage describes people who delight in God after the inward man. I did not delight in God after the inward man before I was saved, and neither did you. This conflict in Romans chapter 7 speaks of people who agonize to be free from the flesh. That wasn't me before I was saved. And that's not you before you're saved. This passage in Romans chapter 7 clearly is a picture of the inner war between the flesh and the spirit of every believer. Paul was... Incredible in the way that he wrote these. If you read Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I. I want to do the things of God, but I don't. And therefore, it's not me, but sin that's within me. And I find within me a law that that that, that I, when I want to do good, I can't do good. And when, when I know I shouldn't do those things I do, it's all I, 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 isn't it? And then there he is in chapter 1, or, or verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, there's no condemnation to those. Not no condemnation for me, but no condemnation for those. He takes a look at Himself and says, this is the terrible conflict within me. When He speaks of the terrible conflict, when He talks about the victory, He applies it to all those who are in Christ. And I thank God that the Apostle Paul himself, who through the Holy Spirit, pinned down over half of the New Testament, who took the Gospel to most of the entire area of his day, this same Apostle Paul dealt with the same conflicts we deal with. Thank God for that. I'm not different than he was. I'm not missing something here. There's not some special level that the special apostle Paul attained to that I'm still trying to find somewhere in life. No, we're all the same in the sight of Christ. And thank God, if Paul can say he can stand clean before God uncondemned, even with that inner turmoil, brothers and sisters, you and I can stand before God this morning and say if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation for us. Even now, with all my fear and trembling, yet I will rejoice in God. Even now, with all of the watching carefully and diligently, with all of the warring against the sinful nature, even now there is no condemnation. This morning, I want us to notice in our verse, that verse 1 of chapter 8 contains a strong... Rebuttal to the devil's gospel. There is a devil's gospel. The very first time that we ever heard the devil's gospel, it was in the Garden of Eden. If you look at the text and just look at the very first statement, you find the devil's gospel. It would be to put a period at the end of the word condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. Period. This is the devil's gospel. This is the gospel of not only modern day thought, but brothers and sisters, it's been around since the Garden of Eden. What did God, or what did the devil tell Eve about God? First of all, he questioned whether or not God would really do that. Really punish them. And here's what the devil said. He said, you shall not surely die. You see, that's what condemnation is. If you think about something being condemned, it means that it has been determined, that it is worthless, that it is unsafe, that it is good for nothing but to be destroyed. That's what it really means to be condemned. If you see a building that is condemned, it means you cannot conduct business there. It means you cannot live there. It means it is not safe for people to be there any longer. And eventually, the only thing that can be done is to destroy the thing and build something new on fresh ground. That's what being condemned means. And the devil said to Eve, you're not going to die if you disobey God. There is no condemnation. It is a lie from the pits of hell. You will die if you disobey God. You will die if you die a sinner. This is the message of not only modern day thoughts, but the message that came from Satan himself in the Garden of Eden. It casts doubt upon the threats of the law and it even denies them altogether. Many of you have heard the same thing. My God would not send me to hell. My God would not send anybody to hell. It was with greed. that our first parents, Adam and Eve, took that Gospel and said, I will do what I want to do because there will be no condemnation. I think it's important that we see this in the text because this is such a beautiful text about no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And Paul made sure through the Holy Spirit that those words were attached to the statement. That there is not a period after the word condemnation. The denial of the penalty attached to sin comes in many forms. There are those who believe you can just live how you want to live and once you're dead, you're dead and there is no such thing as the afterlife. There are those who believe that you can... Uh, die a certain way and that everybody's going to heaven, you just might have to go through purgatory to get there. You might have to pay for what you did on earth, but eventually we're all getting to heaven. The nuts and bolts of it all leads to the same conclusion. If you deny the condemnation that comes on us for sin, if you deny it, it ultimately leads to the same conclusion that you can live how you want to live, do what you want to do, believe what you want to believe, and somehow we're all going to make it to heaven. This is the gospel of the devil. And we must be ever so careful when we communicate the blessed reality of free grace, the blessed reality that in Christ there is no condemnation, the blessed reality that we have confidence through the blood of Jesus. We must be ever cautious To make sure that we communicate the truth of the Bible that it is only for those who are in Christ. You must be in Christ. Paul says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. They would be condemned. Every one of them. Every one of us here this morning would stand condemned before God, doomed to an eternal death, if it weren't for being in Christ. He is the way. It is our being in Christ. It is through that method alone that we can stand and say we are not condemned. We are not condemned. I am not condemned. Not because of works that I've done. Not because of my living. Not because of my faithfulness to church. Not because of my willingness to preach. Not because of how much I read or pray. Not because of the things that I've done for the community. The only reason I can stand and say I am not condemned is because I am in Christ. And He's unchanging. Even in conflict, brothers and sisters, even in the worst of days, I can stand and say I am not condemned. If Paul had stopped, there is no condemnation. All the drunkards in the world would have applauded the Apostle Paul. All the cussers in the world would have applauded the Apostle Paul. All of the fornicators would have stood up together and clapped for the message, there is no condemnation. We can live how we want to live, drink how we want to drink, speak how we want to speak, do what we want to do, and there is no condemnation. But Paul made sure. He was clear as clear can be. Oh, there is condemnation for you. There is great condemnation for you if you are not in Christ this morning. The Bible declares Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Because those who believe not on Him, the Bible says, are condemned already. You do not have to wait to be condemned. You are condemned now at this very moment this morning if you are not in Christ. Paul was too honest to worry about what people thought. He was too honest to try to please everybody with his preaching. This morning, it is a work of the almighty, sovereign and powerful grace of God that can place us into Christ. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's God's love for us. We are saved by grace through faith and we can stand uncondemned. Before I move on to the application to us this morning as Christians, I want to finish speaking to those who have not placed their faith in Christ with the alarming fact that the same word now is applicable to you. It would be true if the Scripture were to say, there is therefore now condemnation to all them that are not in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed upon the Son of God. The most conclusive evidence that you were condemned, the most conclusive evidence of the blackness of your heart, is that you have refused to believe on Jesus and to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you stand condemned now. Now. As an enemy of God. As a child of the devil, according to John chapter 8, when Jesus said, You are children of the devil. You know, it is not easy to stand on a stage or to tell anybody face to face, whether it be to 150 people or whether it be to one man, It is not easy to stand and tell somebody the truth that if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you are condemned. But I tell you so this morning because I believe the truth is the only thing that can make us free. And because I love you. More importantly, because God loves you. The Word of God says, He that believes not shall not see life But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. If you are not saved here this morning, you may think that the wrath of God just comes upon you and bursts. That a storm may come a time or two in life and that you see the wrath of God, but according to the Word of God, His wrath abides on you as long as you are an enemy of Him. And I plead with you this morning, Run to Calvary. Run to Jesus. Come out of the world of the condemned and come into the life that Christ has to offer so that you can stand before the one true God and say with God's children, I am not condemned. Let us move. We see in the text this morning, not only Paul refuting the devil's gospel, but we see a description of the position of every believer who are in Christ. That is the position that God sees us. We are in Christ. Here's what you need to know. before you understand it all, before you have your theological degrees, before you can explain it with some great level of speech that is easy for all the world to understand, you just need to know this simple truth. According to this, if you have believed in Christ and have turned to Him, God sees you as in Christ. You have to know that's what it says. You have to know that's what God has declared. It does not matter if you feel it, what matters is what God has said. It does not matter if you fully understand it and grasp how it happens. You just need to know God says if you have believed in Christ, then you are in Him. We have lights in this building. What I know, and I know it, I know that as long as everything's working properly, all I have to do is flip a plastic switch and those lights come on. I do not understand how they take energy or make energy and bottle it and keep it somewhere and then move it to our building and it stays where it's needed until we flip a switch. I don't understand how the electricity travels from that switch up to the lights. And I don't even understand what happens inside of those things that makes them turn like they do. I don't know how that works. But here's what I know, and I know for a fact, I know it works. Just because you don't understand how it works, just because we're not able to wrap our mind around all of it, does not mean that it's not true. I cannot fully explain. After 14 years of studying and 14 years of preaching, I cannot fully explain how we are in Christ. I just know that we are. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I have to know my position. I have to know how God sees me. He sees me in Christ. And the reason that matters this morning is because when God saw Christ on the cross, He saw me in Him. And He said the penalty has been paid. When God saw Christ raised from the dead and risen to new life, he saw me in Him. And because I'm in Him, when He's going through what He went through, God says you have been through it. You are justified in Christ. It is in Him that you have hope. It is in Him that you have peace. It is in Him that you are all that you are. I have said it this way before. I have staked my entire life upon a life that I did not live. I have, I have staked my death Upon a death that I did not die. Brothers and sisters, our freedom is being in Him. In the Old Testament, they had certain cities of refuge. And if you had committed a crime, if you could run to the city of refuge in remorse, and you would confess, you would get past those walls, and there would be an altar that you could go to. Once you were inside of the city, you were safe. It is a picture of being inside of Christ. It's not enough to stand outside of the city and say, I know of the city. It's not enough to say, I know that if you're in that city, you're free. It's not enough to know where the city is. It's not enough to know how to get there. It's not enough to be able to describe it. You were not free until you were inside of those walls. And this morning, you are not free until you are inside of Christ Jesus. But brothers and sisters, once you are inside of Him, we are free from the penalty of sin. Free from the wrath of God. Free from all the wrong that we had done because God says paid in full through Jesus Christ. God sees us as in Christ. This is part of the doctrine of substitution. It means that Jesus became our substitute. He suffered in our place. And if we're in Him, the penalty's done. You cannot hang a man twice. You cannot put a man through the electric chair a second time. You cannot kill somebody twice. The penalty has been paid. Christ has died for the payment of our sins. We have to understand why we're justified. We have to understand that we are in God in Christ and God looks at us through that lens. I have to move this morning. We see the description of the believer's walk. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want you to look at verse 4. I read through verse 4. Notice it says, uh, "...to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." You might be interested to know, matter of fact, if you have your Bible and if you look at the word after there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, you'll see a little letter A. A little letter A. That's because that term, who do not walk according to flesh but according to spirit, it wasn't actually in the original. It was added. I can't tell you with any level of certainty why it's still there, other than most people would think you were taking something out of the Bible because they didn't know it was added in. We know that it's accurate because it is in verse 4 and it's worded the exact same way in verse 4. Most likely what happened was there were those who were afraid. If you left this statement alone, there were people who would use it as an excuse to just say they can live how they want to live. and People were afraid of that. I have found that people, myself included at times, were afraid to preach the reality of full, untainted, free grace. Because they're afraid people will take it and run with it. You know, the Apostle Paul was accused of the same thing, though. He had to defend himself. He had to say, there's people who say that we preach that you can live how you want to live. God forbid! He had to defend himself at times that he was not teaching you could live however you wanted to live. And it's been said by one of the wisest men that I've ever listened to in my 14 years of listening to other men preach that if people in your congregation aren't abusing grace, you're probably not preaching it. Because people will use it as a license to sin. When we really understand that we stand right before God, not because of any of our merit, but because He sees us in Christ, it is freeing. It takes the shackles off. It takes the fear away. And we realize God loves us with a perfect love. And what does the Bible tell us? That perfect love casts out all fear. But we do see in verse 4, in its proper place, the believers walk. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What a wonderful power it is The Holy Spirit that lives in the life of us as believers, checking us when we do wrong, encouraging us to do right, leading us in the paths of righteousness. I ask you this morning to judge yourself. Are you walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? Now remember, we have the conflict of Romans chapter 7, but Romans chapter 7 is clearly not a man who is walking according to the flesh. It is a man who is at war with the flesh. Are you walking according to the flesh? Do you do whatever you would like? Do you believe whatever you want to believe? Do you say to yourself, I'm not going to be limited by the scriptures? I am not going to be limited by the holy standard of God's Word. Those are old-fashioned rules for an old-fashioned people. If you say that this morning, you are walking in the flesh. If you say that this morning, in reality, you are blind, and you are being led by your flesh, which is blind, and you will soon fall into the pit. If you think I'm wrong, time will prove that I'm right. There is a real heaven to be gained. There is a real hell to be shunned. And we see that there is no condemnation when we are in Christ. And we see that the walk that follows is a walk that is followed after the Spirit, and not after the flesh. Blessed is the man who no longer follows the devices of his own heart. Blessed is the man who learns not to lean on his own understanding. On the one hand, we see that we have no condemnation because we are in Christ. On the other hand, we see that we have the Holy Spirit in us. So, on one hand, I'm in Christ. On another hand, the Spirit is in me. And the two work together to bring a life of transformation and change that can be found nowhere else. It is in Christ. The last thing that I want to share today, notice the statement, no. There is no condemnation. None. No is a really big word. It's a bold word. I sense, and I mean this earnestly, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation, and I'm already out of time, and so I can't get there this morning, but I do sense that in many of our hearts, there's a sense of we need a little bit of condemnation. You know, 10 or 15% at least. To keep me in check. To keep me humble. To keep me small. There is supposed to be no condemnation. None. Zero. Zilch. Not 1%, not 2%, not 10%. There is zero. And that is a bold, bold thing to say in light of chapter 7, which tells us there's a constant war going on. If we are aware that Christ died in our place, there can be no condemnation for us. Notice how broad the assertion is. There is no, none, no condemnation. Even though at times in word and deed I fail, there is still no condemnation. I stand before God cleansed. I stand before God forgiven. I stand before God clean because I have believed in Jesus and I am in Christ and the Spirit lives in me. Notice. How unreserved Paul is when he finishes his argument in Romans 8. Who is he who condemns? This is what you have to understand. Who is the one who condemns? The answer is God. That's the one that condemns. He is the great judge. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Now here's the point that he makes. Quit answering to yourself. The devil's a liar and the devil is a condemner and the devil wants you to be condemned. Quit answering to yourself. You answer to God. And if God has declared that you are not condemned, then what are you doing arguing with God? You are not more righteous than He. He is just. He is righteous. And you can trust Him with His judgment that what Jesus did was enough. That the penalty of Calvary was sufficient. That it is done and that you are clean in the sight of God Almighty. Do not think that you can judge yourself greater than God can. He's the one who condemns. And if God, from His throne, looks down and says, there's no condemnation for you, forget what the devil has to say about it. Forget what the rest of the world has to say about it. Forget what your own flesh nature has to say about it. You are not condemned. I want to say that the statement is a lasting statement. I'll ask our worship team to come. It was true when you were saved 20 years ago and it's true today. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. What a joyful statement. What a joyful statement to understand the freedom and grace of God. If you've ever been burdened with a sense of sin, you've really been burdened with your inability to do the things you want to do, this statement ought to make you leap and shout for joy. It ought to make you want to sing like you've never sung before. It ought to make you want to raise hands to a holy God who's made a way for you to stand clean in His sight. The Scripture says, Come, let us be glad, let us rejoice together. Do we struggle? Yes. But there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Do we fall short? Yes. But there's no condemnation. Do you realize that's only when condemnation would try to come in the first place? We're not condemned when we do it right. We're not condemned when we measure up. We are condemned. We feel condemned. The devil wants us to be condemned when we fall short. That's the only time condemnation would even make sense. And yet the Word of God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This morning, are you in Christ? This morning, if you've been battling condemnation because you feel like your efforts have fallen short, you don't read enough, you don't pray enough, there's something you just can't seem to get right. Read Romans chapter 7 and find out the Apostle Paul felt the same way. Let me stand before you as your pastor and tell you I feel the same way. But thank God, it's not because of our efforts that we stand uncondemned. It's because of the cost that was paid on Calvary's cross. And I am in Christ, and the Spirit is in me, and I stand this morning and say boldly, I am not condemned. child of God, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit just wants to remind you why you can stand unashamedly and not be condemned. Maybe you're here this morning and the truth is you are condemned. You're not in Christ. You have not repented and you still walk according to the flesh. I plead with you with every fiber of my being this morning, run to Jesus. Fall on your knees and acknowledge that you are a condemned man, a condemned woman before a righteous God. Guilty is charged that you need a Savior. Cry out to God this morning and ask God to forgive you, to pardon you, to wash you white as snow. And I promise you, that God will meet you this morning right where you're at and save you to the uttermost so that you can stand up and say, I am not condemned. Father, move all across this room and finish what you started. In Jesus' name. Thank you.